Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. Hi everyone, welcome to this latest ITAM Review Podcast. I am, as always, Rich Gibbons from ITAM Review and joining me today we have got the always excellent Tony Crawley. Uh, MD of Sinjega. So before we get into the topics and what we're going to talk about, so, uh, Tony, if you can kind of say hello to everyone and, and give them a, a brief potted history of Tony Crawley. Oh, crikey. Um, hello, hello, everyone. You know, I really should have a set introduction. I never do, Rich. I just kind of talk about the first things that kind of come in. But um, yeah, my, my background, obviously, I'm the MD of Sin Yeager, who are, of course, I, ITEM Reviews Partner of the Year as well. So yeah, very proud to be that as well. Um, my background, personally, I've, I've been in the software industry 20 years, been really lucky enough to work on some of the, some of the biggest software deals, some of the biggest cloud migrations, um, it, you know, during my career, and really, uh, what one of the interesting things about setting Sinegro was, I wanted to do three things. Um, I I was in a role where I got to see a huge amount of software deals. Yeah, so I essentially was the approver for the software category for UK government, right? Which is a vast amount of um, <laughs> spend goes through that, right? So um, I was part of that approvals process. So any deal over five million pounds, I seen the the workings behind, and as a result of that, I seen the outputs of more or less every single license consultancy, every top four, every, all the consultancies over a period of four years, as you might imagine, every single software deal imaginable, and it was an incredible period, you know, a period of, of gathering knowledge and and learning, and. I wanted to do after that, I wanted to do a few set something up. I always wanted to set something up because I felt there was a gap in the market for a consultancy that was first of all very technically proficient. Yeah. Um, I wanted to to they say you should never kind of compete on skills. I absolutely wanted to make sure we had, you know, amongst the best skills in the world. A lot of guys are ex you know, vendor auditors and very, very technical. The second point I noticed on a lot of the work was it wasn't always commercially savvy. Yeah, you might have done the licensing nuts and bolts, but what was a commercial exploit? What was the, you know, what was it going to do with that information? Right. And then thirdly, it occurred to me, which is quite topical for the moment, was a huge amount of this wasn't completely independent advice. And it was really those things that that led me to set something up, which was Sinjega. Excellent. When when was it that you set it up? About seven years ago now. Although I do think we really started changing sort of four years ago, which was our specialism on cloud. That's led to kind of our our kind of growth the last few years. Right. Oh, very nice. Well, as you say, those three points. The third one. Is, is particularly relevant for our, our conversation today. This topic of, of independence in 
in the software world, you know, IT asset management, software licensing. Um, you know, within the last sort of week and a bit, we've seen another big consultancy get snapped up yeah. by you know a, a reseller. Um, you know, we saw some other acquisitions towards the end of 2022. Um, and it, it's yes, yeah, generated a lot of conversation. Some people, you know, absolutely for it, some people absolutely against it, some people haven't really thought about it as to whether it's a good thing or a bad thing or, or, or what. And I know you've got some um, opinions on oh, this. So, Yeah, I mean, so, so you're right. It's a strange one, isn't it? I mean, sometimes I think um, on, on, on bad days, sometimes I think perhaps I'm the only person who, who cares passionately about, about this. But <laughs> um, I don't think it is. And I, and, and I think it's coming more to the fore, actually. Or I think it will do as sort of software, you know, the $750 billion software industry is is merging with the, you know, currently $500 billion cloud industry and creating this sort of new category of IT spend has got to be the highest risk category of, of, of IT spend. And I think it's a fascinating time to be in, in, in ITAM as, as that change happens. And I think... I think that independence part is kind of linked to the complexity that we're kind of trying to deal with now. Yeah. Right. Because I mentioned we specialize in cloud migration. Yeah. And, and, and looking at where an organization is now and where, where it's going to be. Yeah. And FinOps is very much focused on the now, isn't it? And we're trying to focus on, were the strategies taking them and, and estimates of what that looks like against the current contracts. And I think complexity plays a, a, a massive part in it because where you have hugely complex pricing, which we have with software in that category, right? Because software now is almost completely disassociated, isn't it, from the hardware, right? And, and, and the hardware for a lot of the major vendors was the price the way it was priced right so we've kind of moved away from that it's so flexible as well and of course with flexibility comes that huge amount of complexity now that's one component of it now the other interesting side i think of the market is in the sales incentivization side i mean rich software as you know is it's a weird commodity isn't it and i think you know, I, I think it's unique, right? Because if you think if you think about it, making software, you have these colossal upfront costs of development and it's vast, right? And that company has to cover those costs or it's it's over, right? So you you tend to have companies that are incredible in our industry, in the software industry, some of the most sophisticated sales organizations there are right i mean your background will you know you'll you'll appreciate that as well right because they got to come out the door and they got to sell yeah now the interesting thing about software is though you've got this huge fixed cost yet like the marginal cost to produce is like virtually nothing it's infinitely it can be replicated yeah so yeah. You don't even have to make CDs and instruction manuals anymore. <laughs> exactly. They've already, in fact, they've already got access to it. You don't even, you know, it, it isn't even that. So when when these um, 
so they've got a sell and a huge sales incentivization, of course, you know, so very well rewarded. And these are very capable people. Now, economically, in terms of a market that has high price complexity and high sales incentivization, they're a characteristic of um, potentially a, a, a risky market, a potential for mis-selling, right? So there's a potential there um, that the sales process could use that complexity in a way that doesn't necessarily always result in um, the best interest of the client. Now, this can be validated against pensions, for example, pensions mis-selling, mobile phone tariffs, um, all these other things that are in the in the uh, consumer world. But of course, because this is business to business, those rules can't, kind of don't apply. But what we can agree on is that that is a, because of those characteristics, it's an incredibly risky category of spend, right? And I think that's where the kind of potential consideration for independence comes comes into it. And it's I don't think it's necessarily a fit all thing, is it? For some vendors, you may want a completely removed perspective, and for others, um, you may not. So it's it, it's an interesting angle about what when is independence appropriate, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I mean. You know, I completely agree with you. You know, the, the the mobile phone analogy is quite a good one, I think. Um, and I think a lot of it, it's not even necessarily intentional. You know, it's just you know that it is so complex, and you you know you get the information in one way, and and that that kind of leads you in one direction. And if you don't see an alternative view from the vendor or, or what have you, then you might never realize there's a different way of doing it. Um, yeah. And and the, the last point you made about sometimes you want total independence, sometimes not so much. I think that's that's quite key that, you know, there are times where having your software supplier really close to the vendor can really benefit you in some ways, and but it, it depends on, the vendor and the product and what you're it, doing it does and potentially if you've got a complex high spend vendor that's probably an area you think you may get a different it's worth getting a different opinion anyway right and if 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 that second opinion is independent that's probably beneficial but when you go lower down the spend and maybe lower down the complexity um those considerations may be not the forefront because you may have a simpler model uh, a simpler pricing mechanism. So it could be, you know, simply per user, right? So is that necessarily with that level of complexity, would, does it warrant an independent? I think is probably the higher spend, higher complex spenders may, maybe that's where you start your consideration. Right. Yeah. And I guess to some degree, it's, it's just doing your due diligence, isn't it? it it's if you're spending all that money on all these things and, you know, things which, whether you get it right or wrong could have a, an impact on, you know, how well your business grows, et cetera, that, that having some sort of, you know, checks and balances approach of, right, you know, this is, this is what person A says or company A says, let's independently verify it. You know, it. Yeah. No, you're right. Because Rich will quite often be brought in and there'll be a managed service in there 
kind of elsewhere that's very efficient. It's running, you know, the huge, huge amount of services in there. But WordBright is an independent for a particular issue. Yeah, a high value, a high, highly complex issue. And it wouldn't necessarily be economically worthwhile for us to do the other piece of work. Do you know what I mean? It, it's just, it, it depends on what your kind of attitude is. But I think as, as this category comes close together, I think maybe independence will be considered slightly more important. I mean, it's interesting. You'd be familiar with um, Samosa, which is a quite interesting development in the US. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm just, I did write it down because I knew we were going to talk about this. So I wrote down what it stands for. What did you go? So it's the Strengthening Agency Management and Oversight of Software Assets. And if, if there's one thing that the Americans do well, it's naming the, the bills that they're always... Katara and Megabyte. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah, all very yeah. well done, aren't they? Good yeah. Um, but yeah, so the Samosa one is, so I think at the moment it, it's still, is it still going through waiting for final approval or is it? It is, it's got, I think what they call bipartisan agreement where I think everybody agrees it's, it's a good idea. And I think it does have a lot of, at its core, the, the concept itself is really good, isn't it? To get a handle on um to get a handle on the number of licenses and assets you've got i mean some of this stuff is contained within the other bills as well i mean there's the old kind of um you know we talk about this a lot in it asset management as a fundamental part of cybersecurity, don't we and there is other cybersecurity bills and um so some of it is contained elsewhere but i think the general premise of taking um you know an inventory of sorts across all the agencies and trying to um utilize that cost saving benefits and see whether there's areas where new agreements could could be done and i think some people have kind of ran away with some of that that suggests it's going to limit uh competition because they seem to you know some people have interpreted enterprise agreement to mean unlimited agreement and and, yeah. and and things like that and there's, there's many ways in which you can have an agreement an agreement doesn't need to even have a commit to it so it could be a a standard set of terms and in fact you know i i've done exactly the same thing for the uk government uh although in a, in a in a very different um approach you know having negotiated some of the first pan-government agreements for for the uk's cabinet office but i think what they're trying to do in the main is good there's some flaws in the execution of it but I do think in the main, obviously what they're trying to do is, is worthy of uh, applause. And in particular, there is a couple of clauses within that that talks about conflict of interest and operational independence, right? Which right. I think is quite important. So it talks about um, that anyone in, in, in sort of involved in helping with support samosa should be should have no conflicts of interest which you know where do you draw the kind of line on that you know is that is that resellers is that um is it is it vendors really that it's targeting it'd be interesting how they kind of interpret interpret that but i think at its core that kind of conflict of interest operational Independence. I mean, these these are the, these are the kind of things you'd want 
you know, I'm just thinking about the Enron scandal, for example. You know, if those if those things were in place there, that that you know potentially is beneficial. So I think it's quite a sensible approach. Yeah, I think you make a good point that like defining conflict of interest is tricky, and I guess for it to work, I suppose they would need to define it in the bill, you know, so that it's not just oh, well, my definition of conflict of interest is as long as the, the mum isn't the CEO, you know, whereas your definition might be if they've ever used a computer, you know, they can't work for you. Having, having some yeah. sort of standards. Because it, yeah, it's interesting. You know, we, we have conversations with people at our wisdom events uh, on on this kind of independence topic and, and things. And so it is interesting to see US government, you know, taking a bit of a lead on it. Um, but but I guess I guess it raises the point at least, doesn't it, that if it's it important enough for them to include it, then everyone should should have an opinion on it, one way or the other, sort of thing. That that's right. I mean, it, if the biggest, you know, the 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 kind of a, the spend that we're talking about that would come under um, under Samosa that would be you know that that addresses is, is massive yeah so the fact that they've thought about it talked about conflict of interest operational independence and give that some contemplation it's quite um i think that's quite a big thing really um but however on the other hand the kind of moves within the industry would suggest the other way of course right because there are less and less kind of independence out there right yeah yeah you know there's lots of consolidation you know in all parts of the channel you know itam consultants and in the microsoft channel you know partners are, are buying each other left right and center and i guess maybe that's uh you know the, the economic situation that we're in you know people feel you know, less, um, you know, less happy about going alone. Maybe you know, there's there's safety in being part of a bigger organisation. Um, but and I, I suppose for customers, it's a case of understanding. You know, what does that mean now? You know, if 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 you're using this part of an organisation, what's the contact with the other part, and you know, data sharing and and things. I think it's. It's, it's something that should be on people's radars and, and risk registers and, and to-do lists for certain. It is, and I, and I think as long as you, if you know about, know and understand about it, you know, how we, how are those segregation duties carried out? How, how can there not be a, a conflict of interest? That, that's fine. If you understand the implications of um, working with an organisation that has some tie to the sale of that software, if you understand that, I mean, that's already a step ahead, isn't it? I mean, you know that you may want to get a second opinion or you may use them for certain things, but not for others. And I think I think that's an important thing, but something like Samosa to com contemplate that, I think that is quite an important step forward for independence, I would say. Um, yeah, and I, and I guess obviously Samosa, you know, it only applies to US federal agencies, but 
what we've seen in the past is these things tend to filter down into you know American corporate world, don't they? You know, if, if it's good enough for the federal government, it's good enough to be adopted by you know the large um, corporates, and then it becomes a sort of an industry. Yeah, and so it, I, I do really like a lot of what they've done. I mean, let, let's remember this is is going to be passed into law, so this isn't kind of a it'd be nice if we could do this. This is kind of, we're going to actually put this through Congress and, and, and everything and make it actual law. And it's got some interesting things in there. And they've, they've done a few of these things before, but the seniority of ITEM within the organisation, the reporting lines, the CEO, you know, it's all quite formal and quite senior and, and puts a lot of huge amount of importance on this. And right, rightfully so. Um, because you're talking about a vast amount of spend here that's in the many, many billions and billions a, a year. And I think, you know, just one of the departments alone is probably the world's biggest software buyer. So that has got to be absolutely influential for the rest of it. I think, so hats off to Samosa for that. I do think having perhaps uniquely been involved in something like this before, um, there's i would say there's some probably changes in the way you'd want to execute this that right. perhaps be um more be would be beneficial i mean for example to my mind uh, asking for an entire inventory of the estate in 12 months um i love the ambition i just wonder how much resource is directed into areas that necessarily won't be given, you know, won't return a huge amount of benefit. I'd very much like to start, when I did it myself, I started with the highest spend vendors and worked right. in that because you only need a few of the big ones and you very quickly gain up to 80% of your spend covered anyway. Whereas the tail on the software market can be incredibly long and thin. I mean, especially with, with SaaS vendors, you know, even a, a relatively small corporation these days will have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of SaaS applications that like, you know, three people use it, eight people use it. So when you get up to a, you know, a, a federal agency with the number of people and the, per, you know, the quite specific roles and this, that and the other, their, their long tail will probably be, you know, extraordinarily long, won't it? Oh, oh, absolutely. And you wonder how much of the resource would be burnt from the agencies there. Um, and another point is a lot of the burden is is placed upon the agencies here. Right. Um, when I was doing similar, I kind of my philosophy is that a lot of the burden should be placed on other parties aside from the agencies and, and the department. So, you know, more placed on the vendors themselves to produce what information they can, more placed on integrators and other parts of the ecosystem that are very much, you know, the livelihoods depend on this type of information. Uh, so that, that was another kind of area I was pushed with. I mean, the sheer scale of the data that's involved here, Rich, is that absolutely massive. And I was always 
very conscious of okay we get this information but how, but the analytical side of it takes some time so i was always very careful to schedule the collation of data and then the analysis and exploitation and whilst we're analyzing and exploiting this information the next tranche of data is being collected because if you receive everything all at once you have kind of issues around um and you work with this information quickly enough within the before it goes stale yeah so if they've got a whole inventory within 12 months i'm wondering how much of that data will be you know old and, and useful and i think a big problem may potentially be with uh, non-standardized data there doesn't seem to be any way in which they're defining how the data should be collated so that'll cause significant issues with normalization which anyone in i10 will understand yeah so i mean i suppose to some degree you know the the senators who, who drew up the bill you know it's unlikely they've got much itam background um and i guess you know to a to a regular person getting an inventory in 12 months seems pretty standard it seems quite easy seems like oh it won't change that much but obviously as you know you and i know and everyone listening know you know as you've said you know once you get the first bit then some, someone makes a change and your estate looks totally different than it did when you got that report so mm. i guess the there will be a, a you know even when it comes into law there will be a a period of of hopefully you know within the federal agencies you know itam teams suddenly becoming much more important and and much more involved but then you know as we saw recently with the nasa report that uh, that was done you know they were struggling with as you said reporting lines you know they didn't have the executive buy-in so I, I guess it's you know with samosa will it magically fix all that or will that problem still be there but now you've got another kind of legal problem about the the outcome of it yeah and and this is where it kind of did it it's obviously a very different setup from a private company, isn't it? Because you don't necessarily have these mechanisms of the centre and the agencies and the idea that um, this idea of collaboration, when I was kind of doing it, and, and again, this is very rare. I mean, we had a succession of all the consultancies you may imagine <laughs> on this into advice. And of course, none of them had done it before. So there was literally no... Um, background to this but i always tried to make sure that the what we was kind of doing was a useful and was attractive to the parts of government and that it wasn't onerous it what it always produced value that the burden was somewhere else because the agencies in the department i mean they're trying to do the job of government they're executing they're in the business of executing a particular part of government um and i i always tried to make it easy on them and there's a lot of things that the agencies can do to make this samosa um the attainment of it much easier and again i think it's about where to place the burdens who were where you get this information from in a, in a useful way and of course kind of 
I've lived through that and, and understand the components, what is possible, right? And it's, um, I'm 100% all in on it. I think it is the right thing to do. I just think the execution can be um, slightly tidied up. And that may be apparent as, I don't know exactly what the process is as we, as we approach the execution, but things like normalization, structured data, um, there, there can be some further intelligence applied to this, certainly. Right, yeah, that that makes sense, and I guess I guess it's one of those things of you know don't let perfect get in the way of goods. You know, if if they if they make a law that gets us you know eighty percent of the way there, then you know hopefully they can tidy up the the other bits. Um, so do you reckon you know for, for people listening to us that that aren't in federal government, um, is it worth them? You know, we talk to people a lot about building business plans for ITAM you know, stakeholder engagement, showing the business, the value that ITAM brings, et cetera. Is it worth using, you know, Samosa as a kind of springboard to say to your business, you know, even if you're as far removed from US federal government as possible, but if you say to your leadership, look, this is what the US government are concerned about. This is what I do for our business. So let's, you know, let's steal some things from the Samosa Act and can people use it as a, you know, a, a way to, to have an ITAM convo? Well, one thing, I, I, I absolutely think so, because one one thing it does, it's very transparent. And, it, and again, that is another tick in the box. I mean, they are all, you know, about transparency on this and what, what they're trying to accomplish. And of course, everything's in the public domain. And you had Fitara Megabyte. And again, the agencies are graded against, how they perform in this area which is an incredibly transparent thing to do and is is something i wholly you know salute and and think it's a fantastic idea you're right Rick, the the things within the bill talk about quite a lot about seniority of the reporting lines as well and where items should be right in the organization and the report into the cio in fact i think there's moves to make that you know, and I'll have to check check on this, but I think to make that almost a legal requirement or a requirement of the bill that this, that the sort of item manager will go into the CEO, CIO, and they would then report through to the centre. Um, so there's a lot of formal stuff which I think is all all good, and again, you know, shows you the importance of this category of spend. And I think they're really getting their heads around that. As we mentioned, these two categories of spend are, are coming together to create what I think is going to be the you know largest area of risk within IT spend. Um, and, and I think they're trying to get ahead of that and they they should be applauded for that. And again, you've got you, you know, we we can't do an item you know podcast without talking about FinOps, can we either? Um, because I think you know, when we talk about the complex complexity here i mean i think we're, we're talking about at the start of the podcast we're talking about the realities of software as an economic asset right and how yeah. that shapes the market and the channels through which it's sold and those those behaviors right um and i think when Sat satnia joined um microsoft didn't he say um there shouldn't be anyone within microsoft who doesn't either write they should either write code or sell code Right. And, and I think that really sums up everything we've been saying about the economic re reality of it. So if you know, and I think 
coming from the software background like we are, we understand that it is a market filled with kind of jeopardy and you do need to understand your market. I think there's almost, and again, my FinOps colleagues, and I am a FinOps practitioner myself, I sense just an element of slight naivety within it as this market kind of merges because of this sense that, oh, we can just switch it off if we don't need to. And I think, and this is aimed at FinOps practitioners, I think this is more at the exec level. There's a concept that we can just move into the cloud. We can turn things down if we don't need to, and we don't have to worry about the costs as much. And the amount of programs that actually um, start off without an understanding of what the potential cloud costs are and what the potential software costs is staggering. How you embark on such a journey without fully understanding these costs is, is quite mind boggling. And I think that's where ITAN can play a role in particular, you know, understanding that market and that the complexity does dry. You've got to be aware, right? Completely agree. Yeah, I think, you know, the clouds, I mean, clouds mad. Like I remember, I mean, as Azure was what, 2010, I think, and, and AWS was 2006. So even back in the day when I was a reseller, we were selling Azure and, and that. But cloud, it still feels new now because I think because it it keeps changing and evolving and people, you know, there's still so many companies that haven't haven't really got there. But there is a real sort of feeling of, you know, if you just put it all in the cloud and you just do exactly the same as you're doing on-prem, but you do it in the cloud and it will just magically be better and cheaper. And you know, and then obviously it doesn't work. And and I think I think we've spoken about this before that you know ITAM, you talk a lot about right sizing stuff in the cloud, but you know ITAM you can right size stuff before you get to the clouds. And I think it, there's loads of value for ITAM. Well, it's it, it's it's everything that kind of work we have specialized in. Yeah, because I think ITAM the danger always was. It is about a snapshot that's kind of 30 days old, right? And, right. you know, whereas FinOps, just for a second, divert, that's very much about what is happening now. Now, we, we've been lucky enough to work on some of the biggest, my, optimizing the biggest migrations in the, in the US, in EMEA. And what, what we kind of started working on is, is, a, is, the, is the modeling complex. So work, working on with architects and we've got our own modeling software now that we've developed in-house. We've got a university that, that helps us uh, continue the development of it. And what we're trying to do is according to the IT strategy, according to you know rough parameters of where you go, and we've got some IP around that, how we pull that out. Um, what is the likely implications of you moving to the cloud and the different different flavors of cloud? And then as we get to low level designs, that gets more and more accurate, yeah? So what you get is a picture of where you're going to be. And of course, if we have a schedule when those changes are gonna take place, we can map that out over time and we can actually get quite sophisticated about things. So for example, when you are switching on cloud deployments, but you running in parallel, you haven't yet decommissioned, Communications, um, you get you get a peak, a peak parallel run essentially, and we can map that out when when you were about to burst your licensing limits, how high, how, for how long, and we can start feeding into you know architecture questions, 
um, scheduling questions to say, well, if we you know agree a period of parallel run, you'll need to get your um, workloads uh, switched off and, and through to the other side by this point. And it can start affecting every single part of, um, of the organization, which is what I think ITEM should be doing. The danger of ITEM, and I spoke about this before, is that it can become an isolated, um, inward-looking part of the organization that's focused on maturity. And when I get to this point in three years, when we've got our tool and it's all, everything will be all right and we can contribute. But of course, the reality is Oracle and every, it doesn't care work, right? that deal has to be done, right? Something has to be done. And I think that's always worth, worth in mind thinking about ITEM practitioners, about how they can contribute to that, even with imperfect data. Um, so I think it just reminds me there's just a huge amount to, to contribute. And the, the kind of merging with FinArt, it doesn't kind of worry me at all in the fact that we're kind of trying to look at that modeling aspect of, of what it is going to look like in the future. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the kind of ITAM FinOps thing, I mean, it's, what is it now? It's, it's nearly four years since I did my first ITAM FinOps presentation. So it was, it was our wisdom conference in 2019. And I don't think anyone really thought it, it was going to become a thing but you know quite quickly you know FinOps is, is here and and I think they both contribute to each other so much. And I, Rich I love it I I was lucky enough to be asked to um, speak at a FinOps event in Manchester FinOps Foundation event in Manchester it was a networking event and it, it's fantastic and there's so much I love from that framework in particular you know, um, the idea of, I think it really tackles it, that things have changed and new job roles are required. So that mixture of financial acumen and technology, right? And I think that's a great, I just love how that is just part of it. Whereas, you know, how many times have you kind of heard in ITEM that, well, I don't, I'm not, I don't get the technology um, or I don't understand the licensing, um, or I'm not in commercials, I do, you know, and people will sit, will specialise in, in those areas. And quite often people who say that do have a little bit more technical knowledge than they know, do have more commercial acumen. I think, but I think really that is the job, is that mixture of you need to have some technical understanding, some commercial understanding, some some licensing understanding. I think for NOPS, that's just one of the cool things that that does. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think, you know, bringing, if you're an ITAM professional, if you if you bring some of that approach, you know, into your role and, and you know, and you, you learn the FinOps bits, but also you just kind of open yourself up to, to a, maybe a more rounded, holistic thing. I think that's, you know, that's good for, for ITAM as a, an, an industry. It's good for ITAM professionals in terms of, Know, career progression, etc. Et um, and you know, there's ITAM and FinOps, it, it is like the stereotypical Venn diagram. Like there's a there's a massive crossover, but there's a load of stuff in ITAM that FinOps will never want to do. And there's loads of stuff in FinOps that ITAM will never want to do. And I think for organizations understanding that that you know maybe this is 
if a Venn diagram ever fit anything, it's this. And, and building it, so because I talk to a lot of people and they're very separate. You know, there's an ITAM team and then, you know, down the hall, three floors up, there's a FinOps team and, and I, they don't really have that communication. Yeah, there's a level of defense, defensiveness because, but I mean, the get that the overlap in the Venn diagram is where a lot of the action can be as well. I mean, you know, a typical one is the duplication of usage rights, you know, for certain products where it can be easily duplicated in the license and through what you bought through the cloud, right? That is a straight up, straightforward way of, you know, we've said millions over the years on that and it's one of the easiest things you can do um but that requires some collaboration and it's a very quick um really successful really high value thing to check out right yeah yeah you know and i always end up talking about you know like azure hybrid benefit or you know being able to use your oracle licenses in in certain clouds and and that again you know itam people they tend to know that it's a thing but they don't have the insights into the cloud to be able to apply them. The FinOps teams, they've got all the insight, they know the cloud, but very few of them will know that Microsoft or Oracle or whoever have got these licensing options. And even if they do know, they don't know how many licenses you've got, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, you know, quick conversation. Oh yeah, we've got this many, this is what you can do with them. Where can we put them? You know, and you can you can save a bunch of money really quickly, and mm. yeah, and I think it is it is just people not quite understanding each other and 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 time as well. You know, people are always busy, and I think there's always a little bit of like, oh, what am I getting myself into? You know, I'll 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 just I'll do this audit and then I'll then I'll do it. Or but I think you know it. Yeah, it needs to be a, a, a collaborate. I mean, you know yourself, Rich. When when it uh, items up and running, it it it's like magic, right? It's like a, a magic gift to the organisation with cost optimization and anything. And I think FinOps as well. If you've got that communication within the FinOps team, it's it's incredible. And like I said, those easy crossovers they could be just a quick conversation that can result in millions of pounds saving if it's been duplicated. It's it's easy money, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think with that as well, and I, I mean, I, I'm obviously generalising a bit here, but I don't know, ITAM as an industry isn't always that good at sort of shouting about the great stuff that it's done. And what, you know, the FinOps team will absolutely, you know, burst into the boardroom. We've just, you know, we've done this, we've saved us money, whereas the ITAM team tends to sort of, you know they do great work and they make all you know save all this money make all these changes but then they don't tell anyone i can't help but think rich sometimes you know one of my concerns is that there's still a kind of pervasive on-premise way of thinking to some of the industry i mean i i went to uh, a conference recently and i, I checked out some of um, our competitors and what what they were doing and i hadn't been to conference quite a while right about five years or so which is quite incredible we did have covid of course if if you remember <laughs> um but what i what i thought was this looks exactly the same as when i came last time whereas 
the entire IT world has completely changed beyond recognition, beyond recognition, right? And that's what I couldn't quite square away, right? Was was that I do think for some organizations they are still having that kind of physical almost mindset, just 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 the modality of that, whereas you know, software is just, and the way IT is at the minute, it's just completely changed. It's more complex than ever. The frequency of change is faster than ever. Cost is spiraling. I mean, you look at change, Rich. I mean, you can do in the click of a button what you'd have to get an engineer to travel out in a car to a data center to. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, yeah, you know, just the facts, you know, I, I could spin up a SQL server or something, you know, right now, but, you know, 10 years ago, that was, you know, a, a proper, you know, a proper thing. Someone else had to do it. You needed a server. Console, and, yeah, that's right. It is, yeah, and it, it keeps changing, you know, and like. And I think, and I think maybe that that's. Because of kind of item, the the, the, the frameworks, the, the ideas behind it did develop on premise. Maybe that is is is, is how it, how that modality is pervasive there, isn't it? Whereas I think FinOps is obviously defined for now, isn't it? Yeah, and I think to be fair, I think one of the things that so that we hear a lot from our audience is there's all this new stuff. So, you know, the, the cloud, containers, FinOps, low-code, no-code, all that sort of stuff. But nothing's getting taken away. So, mm. you know, they might have less on-premises stuff, but they've still got on-premises. And they might have less Oracle, but they've still got Oracle. And I think a lot of people, it's a bit of a, like, they're just feeling stretched. It's just more but Rich, we, we specialize in cloud migration, right? That, that That's what we specialize in. And obviously that changes over the years. Now we're getting asked to model moves away from cloud. Sometimes that's to other providers. Sometimes it's to other platforms, even back to other data centers, right? So that's an interesting development because I think people are realizing that without FinOps, without the management, without ITAM, costs can go through the roof. You know, we call it bill shock, you know. Um, you, you know, we used to, we'd help people kind of get across to the cloud in an optimal way, and then we go, right, we'll, we'll see you later. And then they'd be phoning back and going, all our cloud costs have gone through the roof. You know, they've got across in an optimal way, but it's the ongoing management of it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a thing recently, company called uh, 37 Signals, I think they're called. They own Basecamp, the project management software and some other stuff. And they've recently said that they're moving back from AWS to an on-prem data center. And th there's an article, it's quite good, actually. It's sort of, they've sort of looked at it and said, right, if we bought X number of Dell servers with X number of processors, blah, 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 this would cost this much, but we've spent three times as much in AWS or in the cloud, so we're just going to move it all all back. And I mean, there's a real thing there because obviously, doing exactly the same stuff on prem in the clouds, it probably will cost more. And it's that whole thing of you know the cloud enables you to do different stuff, or it gives you better security, or or, or whatever. But I think 
you know, ITAM probably isn't as much a part of those conversations as it should be early enough. You know, we, mm -hmm. we swear a lot, you know, ITAM stuff gets to the cloud or it's it's going live tomorrow. And then someone says to ITAM, oh, can you just uh, just check this is all all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always say, Rich, I always say involve, involve us at the intent stage. Yeah, where it's just the conversation. If you're thinking, oh, I'm going to take all our Oracle workloads into AWS or Azure, well, there's implications around that that you might want to be aware of now. And it may only be a five-minute conversation, but it will just change the whole direction. So that's why we always say intent stage. And I think you read your viewers, readers, your the people at the ITEM review get in touch with you. They got a really good point because we deal with hyper-modern technology, yeah, and how it moves there. And yet we're dealing with a contract that may be 20 years old that cannot possibly contemplate, you know, <laughs> the, te the technologies we're discussing. And that is a very common um, thing, right? Because that, that may be beneficial terms, it may be non-beneficial, it may be silent on it, right? And just just having someone there who's been through that before and what the likely outcomes are, that's incredibly useful because otherwise, you know, what's the alternative? That could take weeks and, you know, months to try and understand what that's going to do if you're trying to do it on your own. And I think one thing, Rich, when I got into this, and I think you just touched on it, is it isn't just about cost. And in fact, when we're talking about our cloud migration services and optimization, um, I used to say, well, we'll strip out risk and we'll optimize your cost. But there was a third point that was really important to people who are involved, to the CIO, to people who are moving to cloud. It's time because we can just resolve those issues like that quickly. So I think that's probably where we'll need to leave it for now, Tony. There's so much more we could say, but you know, everyone's got, got other stuff to do, uh, including our listeners. So as always, thank you very much for your time. It's been great talking to you. My pleasure, Rich. It's been wonderful. I felt as though we could go on forever. Definitely, yeah. Um, and thanks to everyone listening. I hope you found it uh, useful, enjoyable, insightful. Uh, you know, let us know if you've got any thoughts or questions or anything. I'm sure Tony won't mind you connecting with him on LinkedIn. Um, you know, fire him through to me at ITAM Review, whatever works. So, yeah, so thanks, Tony. Thank you, everyone listening. Have a great rest of your day, and I will see you on the next one. Cheers. Bye. Thank you. Bye.